Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around us. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Go to all our social media, Facebook, Jazeera Facebook. Go there, like that page. Follow that page, and you'll be able to see archive shows from the last several years. I, we've been doing a show now. Next month, we'll make 10 years. Wow. So you go and see that. Also, visit, uh, follow us on Twitter, at Zera Radio, at Z-E-R-A Radio, and my personal handle, at Lorenzo T. Neal on Twitter. Um, visit the website, LorenzoTNeal.com. We are excited. This is... It's May. It's my birthday month. It's almost summer, and we're still in quarantine. 
<laughs> but I, I'm glad that we are opening up, and I'm excited. I just wanted to have a little fun opening up because this has been a tough week for the music industry, uh, for the black music industry, and particularly. Uh, we lost uh, three great musical legends. Uh, one producer, eminent person of rock and rock and roll history, and one soulful, soulful singer, Richard, uh, Little Richard, Barry White, and oh my God, um, he escaped in my. Uh, can't think of the third person. Jesus. <laughs> I'm having senior moments. It'll come back to me. But this has been a rough week for the black music industry. And um, we we pray for their families. We pray for... Uh, I'm trying to pull it up. The last one. He was a producer of my generation. Okay. Uh, uh, my goodness, man! There's been a lot of people pass away this year that we just have not realized who have passed a transition. You know, um, um, what's the guy Stiller? Ben Stiller's father, the one who played on, um. Queen, King of Queens, Seinfeld, whole other, a lot of other things. I believe he transitioned. So many people have transitioned, uh, uh, celebrities, not not including the ones, I'm just speaking particularly of those celebrities who have made their transition. But we cannot forget those and every persons who, persons who lost their lives because of COVID. Those persons who lost their lives because of gun violence, those persons who lost their lives because of domestic violence, we do not want to forget them at all. So, I am glad a lot of people are excited, like me, as churches, not churches, but economies, as cities and states begin to reopen. Um, and as they reopen, some people are predicting gloom and doom. Other people are like, yes, we can get back to, um, get back to business. Either way, we need to get done. We need to get back on track. And I want to give commendations. I want to give commendations to my governor, um, Tate Reeves in the state of Mississippi, who's been doing a tremendous job, a great job leading the state in this pandemic. And, I, and he hasn't just had a pandemic to deal with. He just hasn't had COVID-19. Uh, and we've we've only gotten, um, I think we're close to about 10,000 of our citizens who have been diagnosed. And about of those 10,000, uh, nearly 10,000, uh, only about 400 or maybe close to 500 persons have died, which is very good. And uh, I, if I'm mistaken, uh, it's it's around that number. It's not more than 600 persons. Uh, 
that I know of that have died in Mississippi. Now, that says a lot because people, you know, there were models that were saying there was going to be great numbers of deaths, and they're not recording, they're not reporting the recoveries. They're only reporting the deaths and the um, positive tests. And that's a strategic reason why they're doing it. You know, it drives ratings from one. It keeps people in fear and, and, and forces them in some way, conditions them to buy into whatever narrative that may be pushed at the time. Um, so there's an incentive to just report deaths and um, uh, cases uh, positive. Now, when we look here in Mississippi, when you look at the number, the ratio of deaths to the ratio of persons who have tested positive, it is an overwhelmingly positive um, outlook. And then when you put that in perspective of the entirety of the state population, it is a great, great, great overlook. And uh, And we still have at least one county that I know of that does not have any cases whatsoever. The county that I live in has the largest number of cases, but uh, within that county, which is the capital city, we have the, uh, though we have the largest number of cases, we have these uh, smallest reports of deaths related to the case. So people are recovering. And while, yes, there have been millions around the world that have tested positive, there have also been millions and hundreds of thousands uh, that have recovered, and that's what we need to focus on. And I don't believe this is me personally. I don't believe we need to be shutting ourselves down anymore. And I definitely don't believe. I certainly do not believe we need to be spending anymore. Um, we can't, as a country, afford to spend our way of a, out of a pandemic. We learned if we uh, if we if we learn anything from our history. We know that the more spending we do, the worse we get. Uh, we know we learned that from the World War II and the Great Depression. And even though um, Roosevelt was a wonderful president during that administration, during that time, what happened is they just spent, they spent, and they spent, and it created a debt. But it also stimulated the economy. People started doing things. It, it, it's a crazy way our country works. I don't completely understand it. I'm not going to pretend to completely understand it. I just know it's crazy how we get out of the things we get out of. But it's mostly the tenacity of, of the United States. And they're showing that tenacity across the country. They're demanding, hey, Reopen. We we understand personal risk. We understand personal responsibility. Let us be in charge of our lives. Let us get back to work. Let us go out and enjoy public spaces. Let us celebrate. We can work within the constraints if you let us do it. Don't force us to. That is the American spirit, and I love it. Now, regarding the churches open, um, opening back up. I am in no rush to have my church open back up. Uh, as I stated this before, being a pastor and being a person that is part of that vulnerable population, I'm not in a rush. <laughs> I'm not in a rush to open my church back up, but we are waiting on our council of bishops. To, they're, they're being strategic in how they can do so because, you know, people want to get back to worship also. 
but I also know once we get back, there's going to be something different. You know, we have to we have to make adjustments on how we how we uh, how liturgy, particularly in the black church, how liturgy works. We can't go back to bucking and shouting in church. Well, I won't say we can't go back. We have to be careful when we get back in church and we start bucking and shouting. <laughs> We have to be careful on how our choir sings. That you know, there's some uh, a lot of churches now uh, don't even have choirs anymore. So you know, they just have these little praise ensembles and they sing two or three selections and that's it. And we'll have to adjust to the time schedule too, because uh, I know I kind of gotten used to, and I've never really been long with it, preacher. Except when I was a kid. When I was a kid, <laughs> in my teenage years, I preached long sermons because I thought I had something to prove. <laughs> but the older I've gotten in these nearly 30 years, I'm like, okay, I ain't got nothing to prove. I've, I've proven everything I need to prove just about. You know, so you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm more relaxed in my preaching and and uh, being preaching from where I preach now has has equipped me to. At least understand my audience a little better when it comes to time, because yeah, I know now more than ever before, I'm not gonna be holding their attention very long. <laughs> when you're doing these streaming, people may be watching, but they're also gonna be doing other things. They're, you know, they're multitasking while watching or or anything like you know. So I I become aware of that. And when we get back into the sanctuary, that one thing I'm gonna have to be uh, uh, aware of is that people have probably gotten conditioned to uh, doing the multitasking while being uh, away from the church physical building. So I'm I'm gonna make that adjustment. I I really am. I'm gonna make that adjustment. We're as I said, we're just waiting on our our leadership team. In the African Methodist Episcopal Church to help us, uh, to, to give us the direction. And although our state leadership is saying it's okay, and you know all of this, we're following our spiritual leadership, and that's that's what should be done. And I'm also, uh, I have also been praying as well as uh, supporting uh, churches that have been struggling. And um, there are going to be a lot of churches that close. This, that happens annually, so it's not a big deal. But there are a lot of churches that that uh, want to keep their doors open, and they, they don't have the means to do so, and they may be forced to close specifically because of uh, the sheltering in place that caused them to maybe not be able to work uh, and things like that. So, you know. I invite you to pray on behalf of those churches, those those faith communities that are, and it's not just Christian faith communities, but there are a lot of faith communities that may be uh, having to close their doors or cease operations uh, because of this, and there are quite a bit. Um, what else? What I was going to say real quick. There's always. Um, Business. I lost my train of thought that quick. Yeah, that's what getting old does. Well, let me let me let me address this um, reopening whole this whole thing. I just I read an article um, not long ago where uh, Franklin Graham, who is the son of Billy Graham. 
and who is the uh, now he's over the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as well as Samaritan's Purse, uh, both uh, wonderful organizations doing what they're doing. But uh, this report, I, this article I came I came across on the Black Church, and again, I want to shout out Ms. Ann Brock and the Black, the old Black Church article, where it's reporting by way of Newsmax that Franklin Graham and other faith, lure, faith leaders want assurance that they won't be sued if a congregate, if uh, somebody in their organization contracts the coronavirus after they. Reopen. Now, the, and the article comes from Newsmax, but I uh, I just came across it on 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 uh, the old Black Church website. So, but anyway, what they're doing is they are pushing for legal immunity from virus rules. Okay, the CDC issued a a what they have a set of guidelines for religious organizations to reopen and some make sense some don't make sense some are applicable some are not applicable but this is uh centers for disease control they do, they're not responsible for communities they you know they're responsible for keeping us well you know doing the research that helps us stay healthy but the article says that as as um, as we reopen slowly, as we reopen and people go back to church, that faith leaders just want to make sure that they can't be sued if somebody gets sick with the virus while attending a religious observance service. I did not sign this, but at least 300 faith leaders across the country sent this letter to Congress asking, uh, excuse me, that part of this next relief package that the Congress, uh, the House of Representatives are putting, the, excuse me, putting together now would include legal immunity for uh, religious communities and religious organizations. And no, now, while these particular faith leaders, religious leaders, and uh, I can't say who all signed, but I'm quite sure a great deal of them may be Christian if it's Franklin Graham. I, I doubt if he would have signed on with anything that was interfaith. Uh, he don't roll like that. So it, it's a safe assumption that these are mostly Christian organizations, maybe all evangelical Christian organizations, but very likely predominantly Christian organizations seeking that as the Congress rolls out this next stimulus relief package, whatever that is, which I don't think is needed, but, you know, I'm not in Congress, and I, all I can do is write my Congress and say, look, don't spend too much more. We ain't got it. Or I don't want my children, my, well, my my nieces and nephews, my great nieces and nephews to be head over heels in debt trying to support this country 30 years from now. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, they just want that that sense of legal protection. Now here's here's my thing on this. 
Uh, let me read the quote real quick. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been a proliferation of complex and often contradictory orders and guidelines at the state, county, and local levels, each purporting to govern when and how to reopen. The letter states, unfortunately, no religious organization or any organization can follow every guideline or order that has been issued around the country. We are concerned that some people and their lawyers would cherry pick certain guidelines from around the nation in order to assign liability to religious organizations. They might claim that a religious organization or a house of worship was negligent because it did not follow a single represent, a single recommendation Buried within a set of guidelines. All right. Uh, so First Liberty Institute is leading that. So that lets you know already. This more than likely is a conservative leading evangelical kind of organization. It goes on to say churches, synagogues, and American houses of worship have provided spirit critical care, comfort, and calm in the midst of uncertainty caused by worldwide pandemic. Who this is Kelly Shackelford who is the president and CEO of First Liberty Institute, providing this readable measure of protection to religious... I can't read. Providing this reasonable measure of protection to religious organizations and houses of worship in America will ensure that they can continue performing their vital functions of serving Americans and ministering to all of our spiritual and physical needs. Uh, one of one of the uh, representatives, congresspersons from my home state of Louisiana, is endorsing this, and he's he's actually sending a supporting letter to his caucus in 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 the Congress. Now, here, here here's the thing: most religious organizations are five hundred one five hundred one c three nonprofit organizations. All right. They that means they they they're not quite they're charitable, but they're not exactly charitable. You know, you can get your tax write off, but they're specifically for religious purposes. All right. And because they're specifically for religious purposes and you have converts who may, you know, after this pandemic, they may get religious. They might they might find Jesus. They had a come to Jesus moment. They they find Jesus. They come to this church. They go to this house of worship. They go to a synagogue. They go to a mosque, and then they you know they've never had any sickness or whatever. And then all of a sudden they get sick and it's COVID, and they fear they're on their deathbed, and they file a lawsuit for liability and places the church. And they hold the church, the synagogue, the the mosque, or any other uh, faith community responsible for them. Now, that sounds like a stretch. But, honey, if somebody is crazy enough to fake a, a lawsuit for McDonald's or for Chili's or Wendy's to get money, I guarantee you they would do the same thing <laughs> for the church. Uh, we've had an incident at one church I passed and I know of several other churches where um, they've had incidents where for example the, the building was in poor repair and someone injured themselves on the church property and then sued the church and come to discover that church didn't have any insurance they not only did they not have insurance 
you know, it was not the thing itself was not up to code, and those persons uh, sued successfully. You know, got money from the church, and sometimes it went as deep as getting money from the denomination. Then there were other times, and this has happened in my church where uh, someone injures themselves on church property, and we're prepared. We have a nursing staff. We have all of this, and we have uh, procedures in place, and we go through our policy, follow through our policy, and even though they injured themselves, they realize that the church in itself, me or anybody, any any person, a part of the church, was not, could not be personally responsible for that. Especially if you know they, if they see the signs, and we have signs placed, right? If we, you know, if they, if they understand certain things, you know, we can't be held liable, or they don't hold us, hold us liable. You know, let me put it that way. But you know, the, this is a reality for some churches that it is a big concern, and I do understand the concern. I, I, I really do understand the concern. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a noble thing to say, hey. Let us be exempt. We already tax exempt, so let us be <laughs> virus exempt. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm having fun with this topic. I'm going to take a quick break and get to the serious tone of the of the topic of the day: distrust of Black America, particularly after all the news of uh, Aubrey. Uh, Maud Aubrey, after all of this, the new discovery um, is is very pertinent for us to to be aware of this. Why we don't trust? What what what's going on? Why why we don't trust America? And I wanted to play uh, "This Is America" by Childish Gambino, and I just I didn't have uh, the time to get it all together, but. It, I still got some Stevie, so I'm going to play a quick clip of one of Stevie's tune, and we'll come back right after this.
I'm Dr. Lorenzo O'Neill, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. Have you had issues with your credit and you've been wanting to know what you can do to make it better, make it higher, get better stuff and more stuff? Well, we have an answer for you. Evidence Credit Evolution. That is the answer that we have for you. Evidence Credit Evolution offers you real credit repair that's quick and secure. There's no subscription affiliated with it. You only pay when negative items are removed from your report after joining. There's a one-time fee for lifetime enrollment and $25 for every item deleted. Learn more by visiting myfes.net slash emcovery. That's myfes.net slash emccovery. Or give her a call at 662-372-2100. That's Evelyn's Credit Evolution. You'll be glad that you did. Welcome back to Zero Today. Um, I am happy to use my phone. I don't know what's going on with my with my mic, so uh, I just bear with me. <laughs> we're, we're I don't know what's going on. Technology, you know. But anyway, so we're going to talk about is uh, the topic that I have here: the distrust of Black Americans. Um. As more evidence comes out, particularly regarding Ahmad, and you know, I I never believe a narrative once it's put out first. 
I had to learn that from Savan Bullock, Savan Martin, and what happened with him in 2012, and also with Mike Brown, the narrative that was put up with him, and um, what was that, 2015, 14, 15? No, 2016. Y'all know when it happened. I want to say 2016. Anyway, both those narratives put these young men as innocent victims, and they were. They were really innocent victims. They really were. And and, and it, it, it caused people to march and do all this stuff, and a lot of it was under false pretenses because the narrative, like what Trevon said, you know, he only he only had a hoodie and a Skittles and a, some tea. Walking back home, he was he was you know he was profiled and, and killed. But what we found out there was trials. Not only was was he killed, but you know he got into a scuffle with uh, the person whose name I will not call. And, you know, they, they, they had a good fight. Now, I don't know why a strong man would fight a 17-year-old, 17-year-old boy, especially when he's armed. I, I don't know why, but that's what happened. The altercation that eventually led to Javon being uh, killed. And with Mike Brown, the narrative was that he was simply walking in the middle of the street, and police said, uh, you know, whatever they said, whatever they said. And he said he had, the narrative was that he had his hands up and said, my hands up, don't shoot. Of course, that was later proven to be uh, false, a false narrative. And yet, myself and many others, because we, we didn't have the facts at the time, we, we weren't privy to what the information was provided to the grand jury. But once we learned the fact, we realized the narrative was false, and why his friends or those persons promoting that narrative, why they did that, we don't know. We do know that the narrative was false. Now, it does not discredit what happened. We, you know, it's it's still sad. The other thing, again, was this young man, both young men, Trevon Barton and Michael Brown, had altercations with the individuals that eventually uh, killed them. Uh, with Michael Brown, uh, we, we later found discovered that yes, he had shoplifted, and then he also got into an altercation with the officer that led to his death. And I gotta give him credit; both of those boys put a whipping on him. <laughs> it's true that 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 happened, but that does not take away from the fact that these two young men lost their lives. And here, now in 2020, we have not just, uh, we've had several incidents this year of police-involved shootings of unknown black men and, of course, the the more uh, pertinent one or prominent one, uh, the case of Aubrey, Ahmaud Aubrey, who was gone down with scenes in all in all cases, by all perspectives, offensive acts. And those men who are now, who have been charged, and I believe they're out of bail, uh, took his life. And the entirety of the matter is 
that it was profiling in all the cases there was profiling involved, not justifying the profiler, but there was profiling involved. In this case of Ahmaud Aubrey, the uh, we have video evidence of him going into a uh, a dwelling place that was not fully uh, constructed yet, looking around and leaving out. That's what the video showed. Okay, uh, and people who are arguing for the self-defense uh, are saying that he had intent. But we can't prove intent now because he's dead. And even if he had intent, did not carry out an act of burglary, robbery, or anything of that nature, the very least was uh, misdemeanor trespass. That's the very least. Okay? And this contributes, all of these matters that I just put for you, contributes to black Americans having this great disconnect with the American life and the American system. Um, because time and time after, again, we have cases, and, and some never make the news. Some never make the news. A lot of them never have any type of video evidence. Uh, like the young, for example, I, I like this. we had the incident of a young man in Houston who was uh, an officer involved shooting. But the guy, according to reports and video evidence, you know, had an altercation with the officer. The officer and did fire what could be perceived as self-defense. But it was still an unarmed black man. And so the narrative still remains that police or vigilante white people are intentionally carrying out acts of violence against unarmed black men. Now, some have committed crimes, some haven't committed crimes. Think about uh, um, the, the guy in New York who was choked to death. It'll put him in that choke hill. Choke cold. I don't know why I can't talk. Put him in that choke cold and Eric Garner. And he solved his life. Well, the crime that he was committed was very petty for him to have been in that condition. Especially when the media pushes forth these narratives, these stories, and, and they have every right to do so. What it actually does is create a greater sense of distrust. And this is just me. This is, I, well, I have no evidence or anything like that. But it creates a greater sense of distrust for many blacks regarding the American way of life, uh, American institutions that are supposed to serve and protect. And then you have the exact opposite, uh, not the exact opposite, but you have. Uh, 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 the perspective of behaviors that we contribute to that that give that perception. You know, I, I want to refer to an article real quick uh, that is from News One, and I don't really read News One all that well. I, I mean, I read it, but I don't really share that story because I'm biased that sometimes their articles contain. 
But they wrote an article here about Candace Bingo. I mean, not Candace Bingo. <laughs> Candace Owens. There are two, there are two uh, young ladies named Candace and, uh, uh, over different sides of the political spectrum. One is Candace Owens, and she's more uh, conservative-leaning. And then you have Candace Bingo, who is more a centrist uh, or center-left, I, I guess. Um, and I, I follow both of them. <laughs> and they're both beautiful to me, yeah. They're both beautiful. And I'm glad that they have the platform that they have and they're sharing. But anyway, Candace Owens is pushing this antagonistic, criminalistic view of Ahmad, going with the the narrative that the right is pushing. He's a criminal. And anything that happened to him was well deserved. It doesn't matter that these two white these white men left their homes armed. They could have conducted a citizen's arrest without any weapon. They went with the intention of, and I'm using the word intention, even though I don't know their intention. Intimidate <laughs> at the very least. To show a sense of force that we're not gonna take it. We're going to defend our neighborhood by any means necessary. We're going to go all back next on you. We don't know you. But anyway, Candace Owens tweeted that uh, Amar Aubrey was caught on camera breaking into an unfinished property that was owned by Larry English. His brother confirmed it. It's him in the video. Please stop with the just a jogger bullshit narrative. Excuse me for saying that. Avoid avid joggers. Don't wear skin khaki shorts. Don't wear khaki shorts and stop to break in the home. What makes this uh, significant or relevant is that fellow black conservatives are, are calling her out to look. You, you're, 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 you're not helping us. I know you're trying to. You probably get. She probably gets paid to you know to have this perspective, being that she's a conservative. You know, right. Leading uh, pundit. This is what it says. Uh, they're, they're saying, from black, various black conservatives, they're saying that this is not this is not how we do it. You know, we're not trying to be a disjointed community. We may have varying and differing political perspectives, but when it comes to this, we've got at least Stay in one place and say, look, black lives do matter, especially when it's an act of clear injustice as this. Uh, Excuse me. So, in essence, what they're saying is that we, as black community, are seeing more and more reasons for us not to trust you. Even if you're say you're on our side, we, we're going to keep you at arm's length because we don't know how real you are regarding us because we know a lot of well-intentioned white folks who are really racist. And they think they think that by 
by being as lovey-dovey toward us, we're supposed to just love because, oh, you know, you're my black comrade. So, you know, I'm acknowledging your pain. And it doesn't work like that. And there's also the other reason why many of us have been disproportionately affected by the COVID virus. We don't trust the health system. We we still we we've never been able to grieve the experiments the government did on our black men in Tuskegee. We've never been able to grieve the fact that there were many healthcare systems that were turning us away. We've never been able to grieve the fact that even though, uh, for example, uh, the Affordable Care Act was created with many of us in mind, still. There were white men <laughs> who happened to be Republicans who were intent on repealing it just because. And although I was against it, against it, I, I, I'm not. A, well, let me put it this way: I wasn't against the bill itself because I benefited as a person with a pre-existing condition. But you know, there were some components of it. I was like, man, y'all just doing too much. Just leave it alone. Just let it work. You know, do. Do something that would be beneficial and leave it alone. But it doesn't need to hear that. But we we saw in 2017 these white Republicans cheering and smiling because they repealed it in the House under Donald Trump, which made us even even those of us who were you know center right like myself you know you I'm not quite a right wing I'm more centrist than anything. And leaving me to wonder, okay, why did you do it? You you don't have a real incentive now. And then to see that it <laughs> that it, it failed in the Senate. Anyway, so we have this youth, the 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 media, and in in a way, the entirety of the American system creates a, a sense of distrust for us. We know that laws were made to antagonize us. We know that the criminal justice system in particular and sentencing was intentional against us. We know that uh, some, what they would call uh, whatever, was targeting us, even though it, it worked and we ourselves go we needed something like that. We didn't have much say in how it was going to be enforced and how it was going to be operating and everything like that. And, and even when it comes to this COVID virus, the only thing that we really have trust in is the fact that we want to go back to church. We we want our church open. Why? Because we have ownership in that. We don't have ownership in hospitals. We don't have, a lot of us don't have ownership in major companies. A lot of us don't have ownership in major restaurant franchises. We may have our own little restaurant, small business, but we don't have major ownership. And when it comes to the hospitals, we don't have ownership in that. You know, we don't see a lot of black doctors in the hospital. We see a lot of brown and other people of color. We see that, 
but we don't see our own. And we don't have our own. We don't have our own hospitals. We don't have we have our own funeral homes. We don't have our own banks. And I guarantee you, if the black Americans trusted each other enough to put our resources and our wealth together, do you know what we could do? We could have prevented the deaths of many in our communities if we had access to the resources that we provided. Instead of waiting on federal and state to carry it out. And I'm not I'm not knocking federal and state in this moment, they're very much necessary. But we need to start thinking about what happens when we get out of this moment. Black folk, black folk, we need our own. We need to invest in our communities. There's no way we should not be having places where we can ensure great care for our own. We need to divest out of some of the things that we are invested in and invest in our There's no reason. And I know Kanye West just became a billionaire. But we ain't buying his shoes or his products because that well, I'm not gonna say we are. Well the vast majority of us are not. Even when it comes to our own creation, our music. We don't really we're not the driving force of our own music like back in the day on the Chitlin circuit under Little Richard and all that. No, 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 that ain't happening now. You go to a blues concert, you won't see a lot of us there. You sure won't see a lot of white folk. You go to a jazz concert, and this has been the case for as long as the jazz has existed, but for the most part, you won't find us there. Heck, you even go to a hip-hop concert. You won't find a lot of us there. You'll find a lot of white kids, white peoples. We've got to have something of our own. This distrust is is really what's leading to us dying. We don't trust the government. We don't trust hospitals. We don't trust medicine. So what do we do? We feel like we're coughing, we get a little fever. We got a whole remedy for that. And we go that's our first go to. We need the same thing for our our, our broader community and the African diaspora altogether. That's what is necessary for us. I, I don't know how long it's gonna take for us to do it. I know it needs to be done. Because if it doesn't get done, what's gonna to happen to us? is we're going to be completely dependent on someone else to provide care and resources for us. And we got to stop waiting for a handout. we got our own hands up. That's what we have to do. Uh, you know, will, that, will this end gun violence in our communities? No. It won't end gun violence, but we could show, start reporting more people shooting just for shooting safe before it ends up as a death. We know certain people shouldn't have weapons. We know people are in abusive relationships. And they come, they tell mama, and mama say, baby, just stay. Let that man be a man. 
No, stop that. And, and this is why, you know, I, I and I understand why there are black people who lean more towards uh, conservative principles. Uh, well, I, I completely endorse conservative principles, but I'm talking about conservative policies, political policies that are pushed by a lot of these red states. And in, in some ways it's beneficial, in some ways it is. Like here in Mississippi, you know, we're a red state, but we really still <laughs> behind the ball on everything. But we have to, as a black man, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we have to find a way to be more empowering and self-liberate. That's the only way we're going to survive. That really is the only way we're going to survive. We we won't make it if we don't go any further uh, in, along the lines of self-reliance. That is actually what we uh, preached for, for a number of years before uh, the post-civil rights movement. Self-reliance. Marcus Garvey. Booker T. Washington, even W.B. Dubois, they pushed for self-reliance either by the by intellectual means or by uh, work means, vocational means, religious means. We got to have that that self-reliance. And then once our pockets, as the collective community, start getting a little deeper, we start moving on up to the east side with the deluxe apartments in the sky. That sense of self-reliance became more individualized and that's collective. We have to get back to the collective sense. What does that look like? I don't know. I wish I could have a prophetic view and say, hey, this is what it looks like. Well, I, I guess we can say, you know, we can look forward to a city, a Jew community, communities around the world and how they self-govern it. It might work for us. I don't think we'd be go to that extreme, but you know, it's just my idea. It's just like it. Look, uh, I'm praying for the Aubrey family. I'm praying for uh, for many other black lives who have been impacted by some others of uh, discrimination and uh, even crimes against themselves. I when I speak to them it's about black or black lives. We we can't we can't afford to hurt ourselves. And believe, because we don't have we don't have all the resources to stop the bleed. Because when we believe, we can't. But we can't do it. We don't have to agree on everything politically, ideologically, spiritually. But one thing we gotta agree is that all of us who are black, all of us who are descendants of American slaves, or American descendants of slaves, I want to put it, all of us. We need to do better. We got to do better. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close out. And I I, I want to invite you guys to uh, uh, Skillshare is one of the sponsors of the show. Tony, I want you to go check out Skillshare and uh, see what you can do. They got, they got uh, video trainings and classes on just about everything, and I have used Skillshare to enhance both my podcasting and my YouTubing and my creative writing, and it's really good. So right now, you can go to 
you can go to Skillshare.com and you can get a two-month free premium membership. If you go there and you uh, put in zero today, you should be able to get that nice little discount and enjoy uh, Skillshare. Plus, you'll be helping this show out. Also, I want to invite you, if you're not a patron, I want to invite you to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal for as little as a dollar a month. You can support what I'm doing here and help me get all the new gadgets and gadgets and Gucci, whatever I need to make this show better. We've been doing this now for 10 years, and it has been great, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, but if you have any, uh, if you want to discuss anything we talk about here on the show, send me an email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com. And uh, make sure you check out all the archive shows uh, zero today on Apple iTunes, on all your uh, podcast outlets, including iHeart Today, Spotify, uh, wherever you can get a podcast. And visit my website, check out uh, Urchin's Copy My Book. I have not been pushing books, I got another one I'm working on. Uh, so go to Lorenzo Neal. LorenzoTDO.com and, and uh, get your copy today. That's all I got. What should I go out on? On, 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 on. Let's see here. Did I do Sir Duke? I think I did. I know I did Superstition. Well, you know, I'm going to go out on a love song. Here we go. My favorite of, of the good. Stevie Wonder, the great Stevie Wonder, ripping in the sky. You guys have a great day, and I'll see you next time on Zero of the Day. Oh, this night.